It's a privilege to be here. This is my fourth time in Washington. When I was a little boy, I came with my father and mother a couple times. We would, you know, seven years old, I think, we spent a week here in Everett. That's where my father was on an Air Force base there, and then when I was 13. And then I brought my bride here on my honeymoon, because Washington is such a great state, and we enjoyed a week here. And it's a privilege to be back here. And yesterday I was with Duel. We went over to Seattle, and I kept saying, oh, this is so warm out. And I could tell people around probably didn't think, were thinking the same thing, primarily because it's cold to many people here. But for me, in the middle of January, this is where we have a month long of zero degrees. Last year it dropped down to 30 below. So I'm like, this is warm, this is nice. And especially, I thought of that, not just for myself or for my daughter, who was bundled up with us sometime in a stroller, but especially for the homeless. Now, out here to be homeless is... is It's not a privilege, but the weather-wise, they've got it made compared to Chicago, where it's below zero, when they literally sleep in cardboard boxes. When I was in seminary, well, started in college, when I was in college, I started this ministry where we would go down every weekend to the homeless and care for the homeless. I'd pile up van loads full of my college friends, and we'd just go down there and bring supplies down, bring whatever we could, clothes or whatever, and just find homeless people in the streets. And then when I went to graduate school, I continued that ministry. My friend Scott and I would travel often to Chicago and just do as much as we could. And I remember one time I found a man in an alley who was mugged and beat up. A homeless man. Who would mug a homeless man to begin with? And he was beat up, and I, I was a medic for 13 years, so I just quickly assessed what was going on, and this guy needed help, medical attention. So we put him in the back of my pickup truck, And we drove him to a hospital. Many hospitals would reject homeless people, but I knew of one that would just take anyone. He would have to wait a while for the other people who had money, but we waited and waited for this man to be taken care of. During the process of this time, I went to use the bathroom, and I was washing my hands, and I knew a homeless man was standing next to me. How? Not by the smell or by whatever, but by his shoes. Every year working in Chicago, I could tell homeless people by their shoes because they live in those things. You could just, they could have something outside, but when they have shoes, you could look. Homeless. So I knew. I could just see. And he was facing me, so I finished washing my hands. And as soon as I was done, he said, Excuse me. Excuse me. Could I have a dollar? Could I have some money so I can buy some bread? Outside of the hospital, around the corner is a store, so I can buy some bread. And... I dried my hands, and I said, excuse me, sir, what's your name? And his head was down, and he almost kind of lifted his head like, you're asking my name. And he said, my name is so-and-so, you know, whatever, Martin. So I said, Mr. Martin, let's step out of the bathroom. So we stepped out. I said, what do you need? And he said, all I need is a dollar, some money, so I can go outside, and around the corner of the hospital is a store where I can buy some bread. And I said, do you smell that, Mr. Martin? you smell that? And gratefully, we were in the, the hallway where the cafeteria was. And some, maybe they're trying to sell it, but they maybe had fans blowing the smell out so you could it smells good, let's go get some food. I was like, can you smell that? Let's go to the cafeteria and get some food. He says, no, 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 all I need is some money. So I can go out around the corner of the hospital is a store where I can buy some food, some bread. And I pull up my wallet and start walking. I knew that would have him follow me. So he starts to follow me. He says, all I need is I... And we get to the cafeteria, and it's, it's late at night. It's about probably 10 o'clock at night. And the, 
the gate's closed and it's chained up and, and, and right away he's like, all I need is a dollar. So I can go outside and gratefully right across from that was kind of a vending area with tons of food, tons of stuff my kids, some of you kids would enjoy. Like, yeah, let's go in there and get some goodies. So I kind of look at him like, is there any real food in there? And I said, how about in here? He goes, no, no, all I need is a dollar. So I can go out around the corner. He's just had that line down so well. And gratefully out of the corner, I saw a vending machine where they had tons of muffins, the kind of muffins my wife would eat, full of carrots and zucchini and nuts and just, you could eat one and live for a year kind of a thing. And just, I, I looked and said, w- what about one of these? And I, I pull out a dollar. I say, look, this is more than bread. And I start to take that dollar and p- take it to the vending and start to put it in and he lifts up and says, fine! If you won't give me a dollar, someone else will left the room while I was standing holding a dollar. I'm not a fool. I had a feeling that he wouldn't use that dollar for going out around the corner to the store to find bread. I'm sure he was going to find something to fill his addiction. Something to find to drink or to smoke. I'm not sure what it was. but he. And I just I started laughing. I was like, what a fool. So I left, helped the other man. He was finally being seen. We, we took him to a, a shelter, and he was taken care of. And I remember driving back, driving in my truck back out of the city to the suburbs, and just going, what a fool. What a fool Mr. Martin was. His sin, his addiction, his stuff was keeping him from bread. I just was like, what a I love how at times the Lord will sometimes tap on your heart and awaken us. I remember going back to my room, opening up my Bible, just taking some time in the Word, and just, the Lord was going, what about you? How come so many times I come and say, here, Cody, this is for you, and you say, oh, I don't want that. I want something else. How many times in my prayers do I say, God, help me in this area? And the Lord says, well, here it is. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking for it this way. And in my heart, I was like, I'm a fool before the Lord so many times. So many times, there's things like pride in my heart that keep the Lord doing his work because I want it my way. And that night, instead of laughing about Mr. Martin, heart was in sorrow about myself. And today, this morning, we're just going to look at our hearts, very simple, and see what the Lord is doing. So let's, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your life. I thank you so much for the privilege to be here thank you that you are in control of weather and snow and we are able to make it here. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your work in our hearts. That we would see and come to know you more. Guide my words. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have Bibles, if you could turn to the book of Amos. 
It, Amos is one of those minor prophets. It's, it's small. It's, it's, it's one of those books maybe that you haven't read. Amos chapter 4. It's on page 766 if you have a Bible like mine, but you probably don't, so it's on a different page. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. It's right in there. So if you have a Bible, Amos. Amos chapter 4. And I want to look at, I love the Old Testament. Even though I'm a big New Testament guy, I love, in fact, I just spent four months going through the book of Romans, verse at a time, translating, looking at the depth. I just, I'm a Romans freak. I always mention Romans in almost every one of my sermons because to me it's just, it's beauty of the Bible. It has it all. But there are so many great things in the whole counsel of God. So if you're, if you're one that doesn't read the Old Testament, I encourage you, crack it open such beauty even for us today. So Amos chapter 4, and I've heard a couple sermons online from your church, and it's a custom for you to stand when you read the Word. So if you wouldn't mind, if you're able to, stand with me, and I'm going to read just a few verses here. Amos chapter 4, starting with verse 6, and here is the Lord speaking through his prophet Amos. Amos chapter 4, verse 6. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and a lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain to one town but withheld it from another. One field had rain, the other had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet... You have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. So this morning, I, w- I want to be very simple here. This is maybe not my typical type of preaching a sermon. I usually like to just stick with one verse and kind of just anchor into it. But this morning, I want you to do this. I want you to think of one question and just think about this question throughout the whole service here. And here it is. What is keeping me from God? What is keeping me from God? Mr. Martin, he had addictions, he had issues that kept him from life in many ways. For you, here's this question. What is keeping me from God? Let me read verse 6 again. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and a lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me. Now, the book of Amos is one of those small books where God chooses someone to be a spokesman for him. And here's Amos, a small person in the Bible that many people don't know about, but God said, you are the one to speak these words of judgment. 
Now, I, I need to let you know that Pastor John didn't say, hey, come to church and preach a judgment passage. You need to wake up. Inside he's going, no, I don't. And in many ways, these are hard passages to look at because who wants to hear judgment? Who wants to be like, oh, here's some judgment, here's lightning bolts? But God in this passage, God even today is doing things to bring us to him because so many things in our lives keep us from him. So many times he's doing things to wake us up. Give you empty stomachs. Every city, lack of bread and every time. Yet you have not returned lack of bread. People are hungry and he's thinking, surely they will come to me. When there's no bread, they're going to say, Lord, we, we need to turn to you. You are the God of Abraham. Isaac, you, you provided manna, of course. They don't turn to him. So here's this question again. What is keeping you from God? I'm going to give you three things that may keep you from the Lord. The first one Maybe you are the one keeping yourself from the Lord in your life. Let me give you an example. When I went to college, I come from a poor family, and I'm the only one in the family to ever go to college. Cousins, no one went to college, and I'm the first one to do it. And when I went there, I went to a private school. I went to Trinity near the Chicago area, and it was a lot of money. And I had no money. My, my parents didn't give me a dime for college. So I, I didn't know what to do, and I, I just was like, okay, I need a job. And a lot of the jobs provided at school were like filing paperwork or administration stuff. And I was like, oh, I, I can't do that. But then I saw a sign saying, hey, if you want to mow lawns and rake leaves and shovel, I'm like, I can do that. So I signed up to be a groundsman for the campus. And wintertime we would shovel and rake leaves. And I remember one October it was time to kind of put away all the summer stuff and all that kind of stuff and pull all the winter stuff. And I was working with my friend John in the shed and we were kind of pulling all the gear and getting everything out and, and we were kind of goofing around and then I hear this sound. Meow! What's that? And we're kind of doing some work. I hear it again. I hear meow! I'm like, I look at John and I know it's not coming from him because his last name is Moo. And I was like, other sounds will be coming from a guy that has the last name Moo. It's not coming from, you know, we hear, I'm like, I hear, what is it? And here we see in the corner, underneath this wooden pallet, this little kitten who could fit in my hand. And I'm sure the cat was supposed, this little kitten was supposed to be white, but it was kind of dirty and thin. You could almost see its ribs when it was, meow. I'm like, I look at John, I'm like, let's save this kitten. We're like, yeah, we are going to be noble today and, and do this. So we're ripping everything out, we're pulling stuff up, and then we get near it, and the cat, meow, 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 goes to the other side. We're like, oh, okay, great, let's get everything out. We finally get close, I'm like, I'm going to do it. I remember reaching down to get the cat, and the cat goes, meow, and bites me. I'm like, ah! And I'm this 6'4 four, four guy, jumping, I'm like, oh, it bit my finger, it bit my finger. And John's like, okay, and he, he's got gloves, he grabs the cat, it's crawling up him, and we're like, we put him in a box, I get my flannel out, and put it down, and the cat's all happy, and you know what happens cats get happy. I'm like, oh, I messed up my flannel. and This is not working out. But we bring the cat down. And then we're feeding him some food, you know, or lunch, and just... And it's, I noticed it's very interesting. We, we'd pet the cat and be like, oh, and you pick it up and you hurl like, you know, purr and just like a harley. And we'd set it on, meow, meow, meow. And it would just crawl back up the box looking for us. And I'd pick it up and put it in my hand and I'd just pet him like, okay, come on, chill out, you know, and we put it down. And it was like, meow, meow, meow. So I'd pick it up. I remember holding the cat, petting the cat, and then looking at my finger. Had a band-aid on it. Now, I, 
normally don't talk to animals unless I'm bull hunting. Then I'm like, turn a little closer, okay? But so I'm, I'm holding this kitten, and I'm thinking, cat, you were gonna die. But this hand came out to save you, and instead of jumping in my hand like you are now, this hand pulls away, and all you do is like, more, 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 please pet me, please pet me. But the first time you bit me, look at my finger. And now when this hand pulls away, you need it so much. Please listen. Some of you have walked with God a short distance, a long distance. You're maybe just kind of meandering about, going, okay, what's this all about? Okay. And God is waiting. I love the passage in the Old Testament. says, I have held up my hands all day to a people who do not know me. So ask this question seriously. This may be the most important question you ask this year. Already you've probably failed on some of your resolutions that you've made. The new year has come and okay, well, I lasted a week. Well, that was good enough. But this, do not fail. What is keeping you from God? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's your pride. I wrote this down. I said, um, even in the judgments of God, the people haven't returned Many times, God brings these things about to remind us of our total dependence on Him. Because some of you think it's all about you, that you can do it, you can make it. No. Our independence, our emptiness, is to bring us back to Him. So what is keeping you from God? Verse 7, I also withheld rain from you. When the harvest was still three months away, I saw it rain to one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, the other had none, and dried up. Maybe you noticed that in this area. I've been hearing how it snows over here, rains over here. You can see it coming, just the way it's all set up here. It just, for here, it's a bother for some people, but in a place where you have crops, and your lives depend on that, it's necessary. Look at verse 8. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. So what is keeping you from God? What is keeping you from God? Is it you? Or here's the second one. This one may surprise you. Is it religion keeping you from God? Religion? Well, that's, that's how we're supposed to get to God, right? No. That's man's way, man's attempt to get to God. Maybe religion is keeping you from God. And some of you, in your heart, you're going, oh, here's the problem. There's two ways that religion keeps us from God. One is you're afraid. This past, it was December 20th, I believe it was, I had a piece of wood in my hand, a nice piece of oak, and had a sharp object called a gouge, a woodworking tool. And I'm carving something for my daughter. I, you shouldn't be holding something sharp and pressing like this. And I remember sitting down, I was carving something for my daughter, helping her with a Christmas present, and it slipped out, hit my bone, and slid out. It's the first time I ever had stitches that I got stitches. I probably should have had stitches a n- number of times. I just didn't do it. But, and even today, it's starting to heal, but my hand had four stitches 
Will I ever touch a gouge again? Well, you bet I will. I'm not going to be foolish like I was before. I'm not going to be like, I will never touch a knife, sharp object again. I can't do it. Some of you may be like that with the Lord. You've had a bad experience where you're like, oh, that kind of burned me. No way, I'm not touching that again. I'll just do it on my own. No. Religion, some people can sense that. It's like, oh, I don't want that. My mom burned the toast one time, so I'm not eating toast again in my life. That's kind of foolish. So religion can be a bad taste in your mouth, but don't let that keep you from God. Please listen. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Christ is God's way to getting to us. So some of you are staggering, looking for life, looking for water, something to satisfy. Turn to the Lord. Another way people get confused about religion is, is like this. When I was in college, I read only one book. Finals week is when I handed all my papers in, and I got always, is, the teacher was an A+, plus, but you handed this in so late, a D or a C. I wasn't the most academic person in college. Then I went to graduate school. That's when I had to read books. I mean, they would pile up books like this, and just, I had to study Greek and Hebrew, and my brain just about fried. I'm like, this is just way too much. So literally, they would, every semester, they give us a reading day people like me who just needed to read all day. I would go to a coffee shop. I loved coffee. Just, I'd find a place that would get free refills. I would stack up all my nerdy books and just in the corner and just, just drink away. After 15 minutes, I'd be like, okay, that's enough studying. Let me go look at books. I'd love military history, outdoor stuff. I'd just walk around. And I remember walking by this big sign saying, so-and-so author's coming tonight to sign his book. I was like, oh, okay. So I, I picked up his book and on the inside cover, it says this. He describes himself as a Zen Christian. Zen Christian? What, what is that? I'm like, religion's keeping this guy from God. He's something. I kind of thumbed through the book, and I was like, what's going on here? I went back and studied a little bit more, and, and I went back to my dorm to, to eat some, some food, and I thought, I, I, got, I got an idea. So I grabbed a little book. I went back to the bookstore, and it was lines of people outside. I'm waiting to get kind of sneak in. I left all my books there. No one's going to steal those kind of books. I mean, they're going to look at me and go, oh, I'm not touching that stuff. Get there, all my books are there, and just mobs of people for this guy. Nine o'clock, they shut the doors, and there's still people outside. I'm just waiting for my time, waiting for my book. And finally, everyone's done. Everyone's cleared out. He and his associate or assistant were, were kind of wrapping things up. And I kind of walk up, and you could, I could kind of sense him going, oh, not another person. And I go, excuse me, I have a question for you. He goes, yeah. He goes, in your book, you, you explain yourself as a Zen Christian. What do you mean? He says, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what do you mean? We're not going to play a game here. He goes, well, this is what I see. And he kind of says something. I said, well, honestly, either you're one or you're nothing. You can't combine the two. And I says, I have a deal for you. Like I can make a deal with this guy. I said, I have a deal for you. If you read this book, and I pull out this little book, it's called More Than a Carpenter. Not one that I've written. It's one by Josh McDowell. He wrote just a very simple book describing Christianity is the only way. All other ways just lead to nothing. I said, I'll make a deal. I'll read your book if you read this book. And I pull out the book. He goes, oh, sure. So he signs the book. And here's the book. It's by Phil Jackson. 
he was the coach of the Bulls at the time, and then he, of course, went to the Lakers. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but listen. He was a big guy in the Chicago area. Jordan, Pippen, all those big guys, you know, at the time. But you know what? Religion's keeping this man from God. Religion is a way that we set up ways to say, this is how I will find you, God. This is my way of doing it. It's not the way the Lord does it. Amos is answering to the many sins of God's people in this book. It's a great book. He's talking about, ultimately, their idolatry and their social injustice. They have failed many ways. They have followed God. They said, God, okay, we'll follow you, but now we're doing it our way. Religion got in the way. They started making idols and worshiping and following other ways, other paths. They started neglecting the laws that God said. This is how you're supposed to take care of people. This is how you're supposed to take care of poor people, of widows. And they were being unjust in those areas. They didn't care for the treaties they made with others. They didn't care for the relationships they were called to care for. They had social sins, religious sins. Wrote this down, and this is what happens when people turn to what is less than God emptiness, misery, suffering. And God is saying, Yet you haven't returned to me. You haven't returned to me. So, again, let me step aside. Honestly, what's keeping you from the Lord? Is there anything keeping you from God? You, your attitude, your pride. You think you've got it done, I don't need this stuff. Is it religion that's keeping you from Him? Is it the things you think that you should do and you're, you're not? The people were in sin, and the prophet's concern was not, and this is so important, the prophet's concern and God's concern isn't just for social reform, everyone get back on the path, obey this law, and everything's going to be fine. He's not saying, hey, start looking like a Christian, dress up all nice, and then that's what it should be. He's not looking for external reform. He is looking for theological reform. He's looking for us, for our hearts to get back on track with God, Period that out of that those things will flow. But it's the heart, the matter of the heart. Their abandonment of him and refusal to follow his judgment was certain that they've violated his covenant. And here's the line, if you can remember this. The Lord's concern and his desire is for restoration in the broken relationship. Please listen to this. Whenever you read a judgment passage in the Old Testament or New Testament, it's not about, oh, woe is me, lightning bolts. It's all about restoration. Whenever there's judgment, he's not like, oh, I'm the bad dad, here's the big spanking coming. He's longing for restoration with you and him. That's what it is. So it's keeping you from the Lord, yourself, and here's the third one. And for some of you, this might be the toughest one. 
listen to this passage here, verse 9. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Over and over in the Old Testament, we see that one of the primary reasons the blessings of the Lord are withheld or His judgment is there to bring them in right relationship again is because of sin. Sin's the big one. Maybe it's not you. Maybe your attitude. Maybe it's not. Maybe you understand the Lord and maybe it's not religion, but maybe it's sin. Maybe it's sin in your life. And we live in a society where we wish we had ours. This just irks me. People treat sin so lightly today. Here's the common phrase in churches today. Well, I've got an issue. It's my vice, but I'm working on it. And they treat it like it's something that's kind of small. And Well, I'm working on it, and I made my resolution, uh, you know, 19 whatever days ago, and, you know, okay, I'm working on that. And we treat sin so lightly today. Or as one Christian band many a couple years ago had a song that said, take these chains, break them slowly. Listen, any of you that have ever been in habits of addiction, drinking, or drugs, or things that are just destroying your life and you've broken free, you know, you don't go, oh, just, oh, I'm going to get rid of it. The problem today is we treat sin like it's, oh, okay, I'm working on it. And rarely do we find, listen to this, men and women who will say, I declare war on this, I'm done. Sin, I'm working on it. I'm I'm, I'm dealing with it. So maybe for you, sin is what is keeping you from the Lord. God will use the forces of nature in an attempt to get Israel's attention. Rain, lack of water, lack of bread. The harvest is gone. We see that in Joel. The locusts. God made a covenant with His people. But this is not just for judgment and suffering. It's to bring right relationship again with the Lord. So what's keeping you from the Lord? Is it sin? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. I think one of the reasons... It's a whole different thought here that the blessing of the Lord has been so much in America with the churches, but a lot of that is left to move to what they call the global south, Africa, South America, and Asia. It's exploding what's happening over there. A lot of it's because we've become comfortable with sin, and we're fine with building the walls that we want. We're content with emptiness. Some of you are so content just eating oatmeal your whole life when you could be feasting on the bounty of God. And the Lord is saying, return to me. Return to me. And I love how in the Old Testament we have this very simple thing. Here's one of the major themes of the Old Testament. For some people, the Old Testament just seems kind of like, I just don't get into that. Let's just read the Gospels. Listen. The Old Testament is one of the major themes is this. God comes 
and says, you will be my people. Not because you're great, not because you have the greatest army or the best looking people. You're the nomadic people. I'm choosing you. I love that, how he, he chooses certain people and says, you're going to be my people. I will be your God, you will be my people. And he makes a covenant with them. But here's the problem. They keep failing. They keep messing up. They keep breaking the covenant. God's faithful. He doesn't change, but they keep messing up. Then through the prophets, this is it. The prophets basically summarizes this. God says this. I can't change, but I can change you. And I will give you a new heart and a new life. Jeremiah is big on that. And there will be a new covenant, a new way to keep this relationship going. Because the law, it only points out our sin. And God had this plan from the beginning. And the Old Testament points to the cross. Some of you, in your sin, in your struggles, are tired of it. Your resolutions, they just fail. You can't do it. There's only one way to deal with sin, and that's the cross. And Christ took that for us so we could have life and live. And that's what the Old Testament points to and declares over and over. God's definite plan of salvation from sin, from religion, from yourself, is Christ. Period. That's the way. And you may have other issues keeping you from the Lord, I'm not sure. But what's keeping you from God? Let me end with this. And this is so great. He doesn't stop there. Take a look in chapter 5. In the midst of these judgments, in the midst of Amos speaking these words, in in the context of God's universal sovereignty, these judgments are to bring hope to his people. And some of you might be suffering. Some of you might be struggling with life right now. Some of you might be coasting, going, I'm making it so far, I can keep doing this. You haven't turned to the Lord. God's judgments are to bring hope. He's bringing us out of this utter hopeless life into a time of hope. Look at verse... There's so many great verses here. Look at verse 4. Amos chapter 5, verse 4. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Seek me. Quit wasting time and all the other things you think gratify, fulfill the flesh. Seek me and live. Look at verse 6, the first part. Seek the Lord and live. Or, I love verse 14. Amos chapter 5, verse 14. Seek good not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say He is. Because some of you are saying, oh, the Lord's with me. And He's not. Turn to Him. And there is life. So what's keeping you from the Lord? 
we f- see people like Mr. Martin all around us. You see people who are just messing up their lives and they're just going, and you just go, yeah, they've got issues. And my prayer is this, that the Lord would take His glory, His mirror, and put it to your heart so you can say, Lord, it's keeping me from you. Whatever it is, get rid of it. Seek Him and live. Let me just say a side note about sin. Some of you are tired of sin. You've been caught in bondage. I deal with college students all the time who just struggle with sin. They're like, I keep trying this and this to get rid of the habits of sin, the habits of themselves. It's so important to know that this is life right here. The cross has done the work. Live in it. Turn to Him and find freedom and forgiveness. And some of you think, oh, i got to go through all these religious things. i got to do all this stuff. No. You can walk a thousand steps away from the Lord, but it's one step back to Him. It's not about all this stuff. You don't have to go wash your hands before you take a bath. Jump in. My kids do that sometimes. Like, well, let me all get... Just, you're dirty. Jump in and clean up. Don't wash your hands. Don't, well, let me get this all tidy. My girls can kind of be like them. Like, just take a bath. So here it is. Today might be the day where you say, God, there's an area in my life I need to just give to you. I need to surrender. That song, I Surrender All, Maybe you need to do that and say, okay, there's an area in my life that I've been keeping from you. Maybe it's my finances. Maybe it's my ability to keep my job. Maybe it's just my family. And I just, oh. Seek the Lord and live. Turn to Him and you'll have life. Let's pray.